0: All right, well, let's uh, get to our Bible study tonight. We're glad you're here tonight. Glad some people are here. Some are at camp. Some are at at uh, the fair and others are on vacation. Some are sick. Uh, but I uh, hope you'll be praying now. Spurgeon has a lot of comments. So we've been going through the book of Mark and we've been uh, seeing what the Bible says and what Spurgeon says and some things what I say, but most of all, we're trying to listen for what the Holy Spirit says. So look at your sheet and follow us down. We kind of break this into like paragraphs or, or uh, segments. The first is verses 28 through 31, the reward of discipleship. And then verses 32 through 34, the gospel story again foretold. And then verses 35 through 40, we have the ill-advised ambitions of James and John. In verses 41 through 45, we're going to look at greatness defined, what greatness is defined, and then the uh, wonderful conversion of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, in verses 46 through 52. So let's look at verses 28 and uh, verses 31. Verse 28, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Now, this is right after last week. You may have remembered last week where they were so frustrated with trying to understand salvation because of the rich young ruler who turned back and walked away from Jesus because he wasn't perfect. And they finally said to Jesus, Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, With men, it's impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. And then we have this verse, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Now, I want you to notice that Peter here uh, is confusing salvation with following or discipleship. And uh, that can happen as, as you read the Scriptures, especially if you're new to the Scriptures. It sure can get murky sometimes. Uh, understanding the difference between salvation and discipleship, or following the Lord, and so, but but even though this is kind of like a complaint, uh, do listen again as I read the words of Peter. Lo, we have left all and followed thee. That is a great testimony. You may not have asked it in a good spirit. But that is a good testimony. Peter probably was involved in a very lucrative fishing business with Andrew, with James, John, maybe Zebedee, their father, James and John's father. And he just walked away from it. He walked away from his security, his retirement, everything to follow the Lord. And as we pointed out last week, we're almost to the end of the third year of public ministry here. Jesus is going to be crucified in a week or two. He had three years of public ministry and Peter's been with him pretty much since the beginning. And now after three years, he's saying, man, we left all to follow you. We left all. And so Jesus now straightens him out or answers his concern in verses 29, 30, and 31. 31. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive, an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life that means their life will be eternal doesn't mean salvation there it means that the life they lived will be remembered forever whereas the person who lives for themselves their life will be forgotten forever and it's what's called what john called shall abide forever where John, in First John 2, said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But whoever doeth the will of God abideth forever. That person's life. So will your life, or part of your life even, be remembered in eternity? Uh, or will it all be forgotten? Uh, You'll be there because you're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be there. But, like C.T. Studd once said, uh, um, what's the quote? Um, My mind just went totally blank here. Uh, One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's all that's going to be remembered. We're not going to be up in heaven talking about how good we were at hockey or soccer or football or whatever. That you know, The only thing that will be conversed about will be what we did for what was done for the Lord. That will be remembered. That life will be eternal and be remembered. So there's two things we should give our life for. My sake, that's Jesus, and the Gospels, that's Telling people about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, trying to get people saved. That's what we should. That's what's important. I want to encourage you to be involved in the gospel ministry, and a lot of you tonight are. You're trying to get people saved. Amen. Uh, That's what will be remembered. It says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever it says people will the brilliant ones in heaven will be those who have turned many to righteousness now this is an amazing promise for any anyone any age but especially young men who might think boy if i went in the ministry i'm not i'm going to go broke I'm going to be sitting on a corner somewhere with a tin cup begging for money. No, have you ever seen how big most preachers are? Uh, they, they really need to lose some weight. They, they really do. Um, but Jesus said that if you give your life for my sake and the gospel's, Verse 30, he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. And I can give a little bit of a testimony after 39 years. God has been very good to me. Amen. And I, I walked away from everything. Six months into the ministry, I said to dad, dad, God called me to a pastor. I, be a pastor. I can't work for you anymore. And I literally cut off my only paycheck. To go and be the pastor of the Faith Bible Baptist Church, and God has blessed these thirty-nine years, and has met my needs. We never, we were never beggars. And uh, ye shall receive a hundredfold now in this time—houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children, and lands—with persecutions. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be persecutions. And in the next life, eternal life. And so, if you're if you're here and you know God's calling you, and you're sweating bullets and you're you're trying to figure out how how can I make ends meet or something like that, don't worry. God is greater than your boss. He's greater. He's a better provider than your current employer. And uh, he's he he just takes care of his own. Now turn over because. Uh, Spurgeon comments on all these verses, 28 through 31. and the top paragraph, he says, In the final account it will be found that no person has been a loser through giving up anything for the Lord Jesus Christ, though he has his own method of deciding who will be first and who will be last. That is a verse, verse 31, that, that uh, is uh, puzzling sometimes, humbling But many that are first shall be last. I believe it means, Jesus means, those who put themselves first and their own interests first in this life will be last forever in heaven. And heaven's a long, long time. But those who put themselves last and say, I don't care about myself. Lord, what do you want me to do? And live for others. They will be first in heaven. Well, let's go on to the next story. The next story is in verses uh, 32 through 34. And here we have the gospel story again foretold. And, and I know it's just weeks before, but notice the accuracy of what Jesus is going to say is going to happen to him in a couple weeks. Notice this accuracy. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And they followed and as they followed, they were afraid, and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. And notice how specific, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles." And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. That's pretty, that's pretty specific. That's pretty specific. Right down to the spitting. All right, let's look at Spurgeon. Turn over 32 through 34. He says this. From the number of these sentences... It is clear that our Savior entered into a detailed account of his sufferings, dwelling on each particular that he plainly foresaw. He does not describe them in general terms. He knows not only that he must die, but he knew all the circumstances of pain and shame with which that death should be attended. They would condemn him, hand him over to the Gentiles, mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. I think, too, that as our Lord thus dwells on each point, he means for us also to dwell on the details of his redeeming griefs. He would not himself thus have divided it out and laid it out piece by piece, if he had not intended for us to do so with it. We should not be strangers at the foot of the cross, nor in Gethsemane, but should hear each one of these notes ring out its sorrowful yet joyful music. But what a glad note that concluding one is. Quote, and the third day he shall rise again, end quote great ending, all right, but he 's got a point here, Spurgeon does that you know God would not have detailed it so much if he did not want us to know the details of the suffering of our Savior for us, and when we get to Passion Week, the last week, Holy Week, whatever you want to call it, those details there's there's like two hundred and seventy four events in Christ's life uh, chronicled in the harmony of the Gospels in Frank Thompson's study Bible from his birth to the things he said and so on 274 95 are in the last week God wants us to know about the last week and it's the only part that's included in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and so that's what Spurgeon's making a great, great observation here. saying, look, the Lord wanted us to know the details of what he went through for every one of us in this room tonight. So study that out. Let it affect you. Let it affect you, this detailed suffering. And it's, and it's a prophecy. It's only a few weeks when the prophecy is fulfilled, but he's been saying it for three years they're going to kill me and I'm going to rise up again the third day. And as we've seen before, he he was so clear about this that his worst enemies quoted it. In fact, they're the ones that decided to guard the tomb. His worst enemies, they said, we heard that deceiver say over and over and over again, you kill me and three days later I'm going to rise from the grave. So Pilate said, well, go secure the tomb for three days and let's get this over with, let's get this, Glitch out of history, let's go on. Well, <laughs> they got the surprise of their life when Jesus rose again. There wasn't a bone found in that body, and in that tomb, uh, just the, the old clothes. And he walked out. Well, you would think after such a holy moment as verses 32 through 34 describe the sufferings of Christ, that these men would be a, a spiritual. But they revert back to childishness immediately. <laughs> but these guys, you know, we, we look at three years of their faults under a microscope, but boy, the next 30 to 40 years, these guys are amazing. Servants of the Lord. Almost Flawless. Uh, so, but, but let's look at what happens. Uh, we see the ill-advised ambition of James and John, now in verses 35 through 40. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of Thunder, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Now, Spurgeon's got some good observations, so flip over to verse 35, 36, and 37. In verse 35, the genuine spirit of a Christian is not to ask that something should be done for him, but to ask his master what he could do for him. That's almost like a John Kennedy quote, isn't it? Remember John Kennedy? Boy, they wouldn't have room for him today in the Democratic Party. But uh, remember that, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country? That's kind of what Spurgeon's saying here a long time before Kennedy was ever in existence. But that's the genuine spirit. Now notice verse 36 in Spurgeon's notes, Our Savior's question suggests to us the prudent lesson to never promise in the dark. If anyone says, promise me that you will do whatsoever I ask, or whatever I ask, follow Christ's example and first ask, what would you that I should do for you? If we do not do this, we may entangle ourselves with our own words. Um... I can think of a guy in the Bible who did that. Herod. Herod got entangled with his own words. He said to those, his, his uh, daughter, whatever, whoever she was, Ask me anything you want. I'll give it to you, to half of my kingdom. And that's how John the Baptist died. So that's good advice there. If somebody says, hey, uh, promise me that you'll do something for me. You say, well, wait a minute. Tell me what it is first and, uh, before I make any kind of a promise. All right, verse 37. Uh, Here's some good things observed. Much is wrong about this request, that of James and John. Let me sit on your right hand, your left hand. And most have often heard that view. So I will call our attention to what was right about it. These disciples showed their faith that this same Jesus who was to be mocked, flogged, spit on, and killed, would yet reign. Did you see their faith in that? It's kind of an ill-advised request, but they they said, okay, if that's true, then when you sit in your kingdom, after they kill you, they must have believed in the resurrection. Let us sit one on the right hand, one on the left hand. And what's wrong with wanting to be close to the Lord? What's wrong with that? Um... Yet nevertheless, uh, they so fully believed in his kingdom that they asked to have a share in its honors. They were ambitious, but their ambition was to be near the Savior. So you can't fault them completely about that. You know, you don't want to say, Lord, I believe you're going to rise again, and, but you can park me in the back, uh, you know, where I can't even see you. Uh, but I think anybody who loves the Lord would say, uh, Boy, could I possibly sit right next to you in your kingdom? So sometimes you got to look at things like maybe what was their motive? But, verse 38 now, Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now that's not water baptism. That's like a baptism by fire. You ever heard of that? You know, some sometimes even in football games, there's a new quarterback, first game ever, and some guy just levels him. He says, This is his baptism by fire. They actually bring stuff out of the King James Bible into the sports uh uh and, and that, that's kind of like a, a, a saying uh for boy, you're gonna go through hard times. And they said unto him, we can, well they have maybe been overconfident here by saying, we can. You know, Jesus said, uh, can you, you think you can be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? You think you can suffer? Like, I'm going to suffer? And they said, we can. But a few chapters later, I got my Bible open to Mark. Chapter 14 and verse 50, it says this simple statement about them, and they all forsook Him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. That probably humbled them. Oh yeah, Jesus, we can go through anything you're going through. And then all of a sudden they're running for their lives. And I think they realize, you know, we we maybe spoke too proudly. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And many of them did suffer death and martyrdom. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall you be baptized. But to sit... On my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And so here's another case where Jesus, the Son of God, yields a, a, a truth to the Father and leaves that in His hand. God will select uh, what a person's position will be in His kingdom. Do you ever read about those 24 elders that sit around the throne in the book of Revelation? Who are they? We don't know. It says they were redeemed from among men. They walked this earth just like you and I did, but somehow it's not the apostles. It's not the 12 tribes of Israel. Don't confuse them. They're on the gates and the walls of the the city. Who knows who they are? They're the 24 best. All right, that ever played the game, if I could say it that way. The 24 best Christian men ever. We're given crowns, and then they cast their crowns at Jesus' feet, and they'll be close to Jesus forever because of their devotion. I wonder how close we'll be. I wonder if we'll even be anywhere near close. As you read some of the stories of the martyrs and missionaries, and some of the stuff people have done for Christ, I don't, I don't know. If I'll, I hope they have binoculars. I don't know how this, I don't know how it works, but I just see myself back here. I, uh, I hate to use this illustration, but I was at a rock concert in Nuremberg, Germany once, and uh, the, the uh, stage was so far away, and I was on the platform where Hitler used to give his speeches, and I was trying to see things, man, I, mean, I couldn't, couldn't see a thing. Just just swarms of humanity in front of me. And uh, so, those were my stupid days. But uh, sometimes I picture heaven like that, you know, I just, just wonder... I remember that one uh, lady her her pastor was George Whitfield. This is back in the 1700s. George Whitfield's amazing preacher of the word of God and uh, he was contemporary with John Wesley but they always were debating. Because Wesley believed you could lose your salvation. Whitfield believed God saved you and it was adequate, you're saved forever. And what Jesus did was enough. And so they they but they were friends. They were both preaching the gospel, getting people saved, but they just, when they discipled people, they taught, taught them differently. And so this dear lady loved her preacher and, and believed in the eternal security of the believer and didn't believe in what John Wesley was preaching, that you could lose your salvation. So Whitfield dies before Wesley. And they go to Barry Whitfield, and she notices Wesley's at the funeral. And she goes up to him and says, "So tell me something. Do you think my pastor's in heaven or not?" Or, or she says, "Do you think you'll see my pastor in heaven?" And she says, "No." He says, "No, I don't." And she just gets incensed, you know, because she's thinking he th- he's saying he lost his salvation, and uh, she's mad at him. And uh, this, I'm, I'm probably embellishing the story here. I don't remember all of it, but uh, she was mad as a hornet, I guess. And he calmed her down and he said, Dear lady, he said, I think your pastor is going to be so close to the Lord Jesus Christ when we get to heaven that I'll never see him. And that was a good answer. That was a good answer. In uh, Philippians 2 and verse 3, believe it or not, it says, We should esteem others better than ourselves. That's what it says. And in uh, Luke 14, 7 through 11, Jesus says, look, when you go to a banquet, take the lowest seat you can possibly take in the banquet. And if the you know, bridegroom or whoever's in charge comes and says, oh, no, no, let's move you up to a higher place, that's up to them. But don't take the high place, because they may say, hey, we've got to make room for somebody more important than you, and then you with shame start walking down. This is how we're supposed to live in this earth, and the last shall be first up there. And so, Romans 12.10 says, "...in honor preferring one above another, and in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves." So, um, that's what uh, greatness is now defined in verses 41 through 45. It says, "...and when the ten heard it..." These are the other ten... (laughs) they begin to be much displeased with James and John. This is really sad. Now they're all goofed up. But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, You know that they which are counted, worthy, uh, counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. The church is going to be different. It's going to be ruled differently than the world. But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And that doesn't mean the title minister as in pastor, but the person who just gives their life to minister to other people. And whosoever you shall be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you know, what have I done for myself? I didn't come here to see what what you could do in ministering to me. I've just been ministering to you the whole time. And he says, that's greatness. Greatness in my church are going to be those who are servants and those who just minister to others, find somebody else and try to help somebody else. Those are going to be the great ones in the next life. Well, let's conclude now with the glorious conversion of blind Bartimaeus in verses 46 through 52 of Mark 10. And they came to Jericho. This is his last trip. He's going to go to Jericho, come back to Jerusalem, and then die and be buried outside the walls of Jerusalem. This is his last trip. His last trip. And it's his only trip. In three years, it's the only time he goes to Jericho. Ah, there's a little message in that for us, too. Jesus may have just pass by your life once, once, and uh, don't miss that. Don't miss that. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now, in Matthew chapter twenty and verse thirty, it tells us there was two blind men. Here there's one. So what do you believe? You believe them both. There were two, but God wants to focus on the story of one of them, named Bartimaeus, which isn't even a name, it's a title. Bar means the son of, Timaeus means Timothy. And that's why he's called here in verse 46, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Who sat by the this guy? This guy don't even have a name. He just has a title. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, son. Well, that's good enough to get saved. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, I like what Spurgeon's about ready to observe here. He began to cry out and say, "Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me." And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Notice Bartimaeus calls him in verse 47, Thou son of David. Verse 48, Thou son of David. But in verse 47, the crowd called him Jesus of Nazareth. Now here's a nice observation by Spurgeon, if you'll turn over to verse 47 the blind man had advanced much further than the mass of the people. To him, it was not merely Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, son of David. Uh Aha, that's great, isn't it? Now, I don't know how he knows this, because he's sitting by the roadside, Jericho, begging. Jesus has never passed that way before, but he's heard of Jesus. And he heard that Jesus came from Nazareth, and somebody taught him that Jesus was the son of David. Now, we're talking about Messiah here. We're talking about deity here. Somebody must have taught him that. He didn't just invent that in his mind. The point is this. We need to teach people. We need to teach people truths even before they get saved. Uh, Like the thief on the cross that got saved, he knew a lot of doctrine, man. He was spitting out doctrine from the cross. He didn't just figure it out up there the last day of his life. Somebody had been feeding him with the Word of God. And that's where we as witnesses need to be patient with people. And just something you tell them today, 20 years from now, might, they might say, Jesus is Lord. And believe. And so this, this blind man's never met Christ. Christ has never passed by. But he knew he's the Son of David. Not just Jesus of Nazareth, but the son of David. And he's not going to let the crowds silence him. Don't let anybody shut you up when you're searching for the Lord. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more. A great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Man alive when it comes to the salvation of your soul. And crying out to Christ, don't you let anyone stop you, especially the crowd. What will they think of me if I get say, "Who cares, man? Your soul's going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Who cares? You think the crowd's going to be there with you in hell? No, you better forget about the crowd and just cry out, Jesus, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me." And Jesus stopped for him. Verse forty-nine. Jesus stood still. Commanded him to be called, and they call the blind man, saying unto him, "Be of good comfort, rise. He calleth thee." Isn't that precious? Wow, the whole just the whole entourage just stops for one, and I I don't think I'm exaggerating here, but one probably real stinky blind man, you know, because he I I don't know unless he had a shower there and got fresh clothes every day or whatever. But Jesus stopped the whole thing and said, Bring that man over to me. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answering and said unto him, What wilt thou <laughs> that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may receive my sight. What a contrast. Spurgeon brings that out, but we won't take time to read it. What a contrast. Notice the same question back in verse 36. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And down here, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Same question. One got an answer. The others got rebuked. All right. We've got to watch what we come to the Lord with and, and what our requests are. Lord, that I may receive my sight. It's kind of precious. Whenever anybody in the Bible says, Lord, their life has changed every time. When they addressed you, he says, Son of David, and now he calls him Lord. Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. And I believe when you get to heaven... If you're saved and I get there, Bartimaeus will be there. Someday we'll meet him. I think we're going to get to meet everybody, I hope. It's going to be pretty neat. Uh, exchanging stories. Hey, I read about your salvation. One time Jesus passed by and you stopped him dead in his tracks. He said, please have mercy on me. Please save me. And Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately you received his sight. And follow Jesus in the way. Whoa, that's precious, isn't it? Yes. A couple days before Holy Week and Jesus has a new follower. Bartimaeus. Amen. Uh, well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. Thank You for these that are here. Lord, we pray the Word would be a blessing to our souls tonight. and We kind of think about what we've learned and And I know times you need to rebuke us because we're trying to be great, trying to be a place seeker in your church rather than being just a minister or a servant to somebody. And so help us to leave tonight with the true definition of greatness and show us who we can help. Uh, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Thank you for saving blind Bartimaeus. Another example that you'll save anybody will call upon the Lord. And uh, we just thank you for the, uh, the uh, truths tonight. Bless us as we dismiss this busy week with the fair, with the camp, a funeral coming up, countryside tomorrow night. Lord, just give us grace to really do all we can in the summertime when we have more opportunity. And now bless our fellowship and our safety going home, our dismissal, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.